Today, we'll be looking at a topic. I think of it like uh, swimming in the sea. <laughs> and I pray that the Lord himself will lead us so that we can land wherever he wants us to land. The topic is the work of the Holy Spirit and the believer. This topic will be taught in three parts. Today will be the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second part will be next Sunday will be the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the last part, the work of the Holy Spirit, his ministry, will be on the 19th of August. And that way we will look a bit more closely into some of the controversial issues regarding the gift of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. Today, it's an overview. Try to look some understanding. Look at the promise, the importance. Who is the Holy Spirit? You see, quite often it's very easy to overlook the person of the Holy Spirit and to focus on the manifestation the work, but the Holy Spirit is the second, third person in the, in the Godhead, what we call Trinity. Now, for most of you in this congregation, most of the things I'll be talking about today, you may find them really basics. They are basic, I recognize that. But Peter said, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Reminder is very important. You see, in the beginning when God created the heaven and earth, the Bible says, the spirit of God was hovering. Is it hovering or hovering? Hovering, okay, moving, you can say moving. Over the face of the waters, that's the spirit. By the time you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, you find that the same spirit and the bride, that's the church, together are crying out, to the Lord, come together, come. In the meantime, in the book of Revelation, seven times in the letters written to seven churches, we are reminded to hear, if we have an ear, <laughs> to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit is communicating to the church. The Spirit is reminding us Christ's commandment. When the promise was given, the Lord says, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come, and will tell us things to come. So we human beings, we cannot be in competition with the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, ready to execute, to put in action, to translate into reality what the Lord God was about to say. And that's exactly the same thing he does in the church to help us obey God, 
to help the church grow with the growth that proceeds from God. The Bible calls that godly edification. Not just edification, godly edification. Remember? Let everyone be careful in the way he's building. We can build, but it has to be a godly building, like a wise master builder. So, we're going to read about the promise. <clears throat> now, the interaction first. Turn to Luke chapter 3, please. Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> and start with verse 16. John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 14. I'm still in Luke, chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. Verse 18. We can start from 17. That's the Lord in the synagogue. <clears throat> and he was under the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, basics. Basics in the sense that most of us would have read this most of us have probably a great understanding of all this scripture. Therefore, I repeat myself, this is a return to basics. Bear with me. From John 14 to John 16, the Lord not only promised to send the Holy Spirit, but he also explained how crucial his mission would be by saying that nothing could be done without him. You see, he's the true vine, we are the branches, and without him, there's nothing we can do. How? Through his spirit. There's absolutely nothing we can do of eternal significance. Nothing we can do that will meet the Lord God's approval. Now, the promise to send the Holy Spirit was given in a particular context. You see, it comes in verse 16. After the Lord in chapter, in chapter 16 of John, I meant. In chapter 14, the Lord is encouraging us. He's commanding us not to be afraid. To believe in God the Father, to believe in him. To believe that his coming is going to prepare a place for us. And he's promising to grant us 
peace. Peace that is not as the word give. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. Well, you see, as we move forward, we await for the blessed appearing of the Lord Jesus from heaven. We become increasingly desperate. I call that HDU, high dependency. That's the department my wife works in, Jennifer. High dependency unit. Not high dependency on the pastor, <laughs> on God. You see, when you become a Christian, you have all this love and joy and peace, and sometimes you talk things you don't understand, etc. As you move forward, you move from all those things to increased level of dependency on God. And you understand that without God, the next house becomes tricky, impossible without God. I call that high dependency. As a sign of maturity, we have to depend on God as believers. Otherwise, it's impossible. You see, the context in which the Lord gave the promise was that context in, we, in which he promised to come back and to receive us unto himself and to say, in the world we shall have a lot of tribulation. And he says, the world hates the Father and the world hates the Son. The servant is not greater than the master. If they've done that to him, the green tree, what would happen to us? The dry woods, piece of woods. Therefore, we need, we need that life from God. Piece of wood, the Bible says we had dry, yes. Green tree, Christ, yes. But look at what happened on the cross. The cross was a dried wood, that us. And the green wood was it, giving life to us. Without him, there's nothing we can do. We need God. Now, the context of that, I said, was a context when the Lord is warning us that in this world, we will have tribulation. Why tribulation? Because the world hates him. Because the world does not receive his word. And because you receive his word and you love him, you will have the same. It's not a choice. It's not an option. It's like that. That's how it is. Now, yesterday I was saying there is a difference between union and unity. A union can be fabricated, can be artificial, can be things of complete different nature. Husband and wife, that's a union. Different nature, different background, etc. Working together to make it work. But unity is about the nature, the underlying foundation of it. So the unity we're talking about in the church, the Bible does not say go and fabricate, go and make. No, it says endeavoring yourself to keep, to maintain the unity of the spirit. So it's there because you have the Holy Spirit, because the Lord has done the work, we have his nature in us, we need to maintain that unity. We cannot fabricate it. And that's the problem with ecumenism. That is a union. Everyone can come with his own belief. It doesn't matter. Let's put aside our difference and focus on what unites us. Love. Well, if I am a Christian and I come to that table, church together, world council of church of council, council of church, whatever it is, WCC, I think, and if you come as a follower of Jesus Christ and you sit around the table and say, oh, yes, let's put our difference aside and let's just put love. But you see, we all believe in God, but no one can get to the Father without Jesus Christ. People will say, we don't want to hear that. Just on that basis, it doesn't work for true believers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, come out of that system, you, my people. And it is the Holy Spirit who is preserving the church from that corruption. He said, when he comes, he will guide us in all truth. The truth. 
and see the amount of time the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about himself and the Father in the book of John, how can we forsake that and go for an artificial arrangement for the sake of union and peace and love? Well, what unites us in Christ is the love of truth. Well, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the helper in our journey of faith on this earth. In the book of Acts, that will be in the next part maybe, there were believers, people who believed in Christ. And as they believed, the apostle asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? very, very tricky area. Did you believe the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? We haven't even heard about him. We haven't even heard. I'm talking about people who believed. We haven't even heard. That was a big thing. Then the apostle came, prayed for them, explained them, and they moved on with them. You see, the, all, the Holy Spirit is not optional in the church. It's not an add-on. It's the heart of the church. In the same way, the Lord Jesus is our nervous system. He's our head. He's the thinking organism. He's the one who gives. The, the Holy Spirit is the one who is pumping the blood to the beat of God's heart. While the blood, the word of God, is doing the work inside for a better circulation of the blood. You know, good food, good diet can help with the circulation of the blood. Would you agree with that? The word of God, the word of truth opens our, high, our eyes and our hearts and the Holy Spirit can do his work when there is obedience because he is supposed to remind us the things Jesus has said and to open up, expound, and explain us the content and the depth of it and maintain us until he returns. You see, the Lord said, it is expedient, it is advantageous for you that I go. For if I go not away, he will not come. The Holy Spirit is working mightily in the believer. Whenever I see someone coming to Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, they are the two secret agents of God in this world. You see, in the same way Moses sent two spies, two came with a good report, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are in that secret mission from God of gaining heart, of doing mighty that work. They work together for the Lord said, my word are spirit and life. Not our wisdom. God. We need to cling on to the Lord. We need to call upon the name of the Lord to help us in this difficult journey. Otherwise, it's impossible. You see, the passages we've been reading here in Luke 3 and 4, look at the expressions that are used in that. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling with the Holy Spirit, moving with the Holy Spirit. Is all about, that's Jesus himself. Remember? Paul was saying he's still running. He hasn't finished the race. He's still running. My question to you is this. If Paul was running, what should we do? Anyone? A verb? Flying. Flying. This is a difficult race. It's not easy. And increasingly, it will be tougher and tougher and tougher. I think it was Nathan who taught many, many months ago about perilous times. Perilous time. Perplexity. People not knowing what to do is right there. Even those who thought they had a sense of security is gone flying away. But the Lord promised, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It is inside, it is undisturbed by everything that is outside. Inner peace that passeth all understanding. So people should look at you, believers, beloved of Jesus Christ, and say, how come you're not disturbed? 
of what is going on in the world. And we should be able to give an answer. Quite often, we hear Christians, just like in the world, quite happy to recite like a mantra, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. I'm not denying that condition, if it's genuine, okay? It's a reality. But for a Christian to be willfully putting himself under that yoke, where is the peace of God? I think in times of distress, the place we should go first is to the Lord. In the multitude of my anxiety within me, your comfort delight my soul. My favorite psalm, 9419. Not yoga for anxieties, but the comfort of the Lord delight my soul. You see, because what the devil is really, really after is our soul. If he can disturb our soul, then he has us. But the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. It's all about the soul. Remember in the book of Acts, after the preaching, the teaching of Peter, the Bible says about 3,000, thank you, souls, not people, souls. So the Lord looks in terms of souls he came to save. 3,000 people genuinely saved. Not just people sitting, feel good, sick, sensitive, but souls that were saved. By the time you get to Act 2, the Bible says, and the Lord added daily those who were being saved. That's the church. That's the church of God. A community of people who love Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it says those are those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Trusting the Lord. It's not going to be any easier but clinging on to the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the priests, the kings, the prophets for a particular mission. But in the New Testament, that's how important and big it is the Holy Spirit indwells the believers. You see, we have become a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, his own special people. The Holy Spirit indwelling the believer to help us. The Lord has given us everything that pertains to life and to goodness. The Holy Spirit to help us to raise us up, to help us in our weaknesses, to help us to pray, to remind us godly things, to sanctify, etc. The Holy Spirit. It's very, very, very important that we recover those things. It's very, very important that we pray for the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove, to discern which that is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen then? How? I think it's in Job chapter 32, verse 8, I think. It says, in a man is the spirit of God that gives us understanding. You see, the spirit of God gives us understanding. That's why animals don't have intellect. We have intellect. We have a mind because God breathed into us. He is omniscient and we become a living soul and we can think, we can search for God, we can worship God. We can fellowship with God. 
But that intelligence has been corrupted now. It needs a restoration by God who gave it. Hence, the work of the Holy Spirit, at the point when we become Christian, the Holy Spirit comes because we invite him, we accept him to rule over us, then he comes and begins to do that work of transformation. Intelligence is the junction between soul and spirit. Intelligence is in the middle of spirit and soul. I know it's part of the soul. I know that. But it's the entry, it's the point where God does the work. Remember, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to do what? To divide between soul and spirit. That's the work. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the life of the non-believers when they come to Christ. To change our will and the will of God to take over and rule over us. And our soul becomes submitted to the Lord. And that work of transformation, that renewing of our understanding and priority is the, is the work in progress being done by the Holy Spirit not optional. It has to be like that. To transform us in the likeness of Christ until we see him. The Holy Spirit is there keeping the church, giving us discernment. Imagine what would be without the Holy Spirit. When the Lord say do not believe every spirit but test them. How can we test every spirit? It's impossible. In the spiritual realm. How? Well, one we say, by the word of God. The letter kills, the spirit gives life to the word of God. Even if you read the word of God, you need the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern those things, to know Christ better. I am going to give you some examples, one or two. In Philippi, Acts 16, we have a situation where a slave, a young girl is coming and shouting after the apostle. They are men of God. Listen to them saying all the very nice things. Repeatedly she's saying that. The apostle looks at that and rebuke. How many pastors can do that today? How many? If there was a gift in a congregation, that's a man of God. Listen to him. 100 times being repeated. How many pastors we say? No. That is called discernment. Discernment. Do you remember Peter himself? When the Lord announced his death? Oh no, Lord. Let that not happen to you. Behind him he said. Discernment. But it was a good thing to do. It was pity, compassion, isn't it? I don't want to jump my steps here by beginning to tell you, I'm sure by this time you begin already to see that gift have not ceased. You can begin to see already before we get back to that in two weeks' time, God willing. Now, even more importantly for us, let's turn to one more scripture here. Romans chapter 8, just one. Romans chapter 8, and we read. In verse 8 and 9. Romans 8, 8 to 9. So then, well, we can start from verse 7. Or from verse 6, if you want. <laughs> For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. 
No, indeed, can be. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, that, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen this. Politically incorrect. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Can't be clearer than that. It's not about knowledge, head knowledge. It's not about scholarship. It's about believing in God, receiving his spirit, the nature of God. Then we can discern his ways, obey him, and wait for him. Sometimes I think, when the Bible says, at a given signal, at the voice of an archangel, and at the sounds of the trumpet of God, the Lord will descend from heaven. Will I listen to that? How will that happen, Lord? Where would I be at that time? Would I go? Would I listen? What do I need to do to be able to listen to that cry, that call? Remember in the book of Revelation, come up here. That's a call from heaven. My church, come now. That's the sound of the trumpet of God. Come. Who will listen? Who will go? Would I be among those? Yes, I believe in Christ. But Lord, how will that happen? Let's get ready every day. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise again. And together with us, we will be caught up to be with the Lord. Let he who has ear hear what the Spirit is saying. This is a turning point. This is a dangerous, critical moment for the, for the church. This is not time for jokes. Well, like English, high time. High time we are in. Jesus is coming. In my country, there is a very old song was popular in those times no more today. He was saying, the Son of God is coming. Can you hear his steps? Remember the soundings in the book of Acts? The sounding, Christ is coming. The Lord saved us. Let us not become complacent for the Lord is coming. The Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit was never on the earth. Already we saw that at the baptism of the Lord, we have evidence, the Holy Spirit. We see in the life of the patriarch, King David, the Holy Spirit, but not as special as when he came at the day of Pentecost because he came to dwell in the believer. You are the temple of the living God. And when we gather together like this and we bring that praise to the Lord because the spirit, we don't even know how to pray. Do you know that? It's the spirits that come to help us and to show us how we ought to pray to glorify God. Anything outside that is nothing. We do need God. We do need his spirit. Well, there was a time where the church lost its way. And the Lord, in his wisdom and love and grace, began to restore the church in steps. We had what I call the miracle of the Reformation. When I think about that, I bless the name of the Lord because I don't see how that could happen. With Catholicism, with the integration of politics, religion, kings and pontifex maximus, etc., I don't see how it will be possible for people to go back to the Bible. But for one man, 
one man within the church itself, Catholic. God raised one man and they came up with Sola Scriptura. And then in England you had all those great heroes of faith you had in Germany, you had in, in, in Switzerland, etc. And people went back to the Bible. I was told that a great thinker, a French one called Voltaire, great thinker, because he was very, very intelligent, a great mind. He despised the Bible. He said, oh, give it a few decades, it's going to disappear. Give it a few decades, it's going to disappear. But I was told that his very place, one of his places, became the headquarter of one of the Bible society, from which Bibles were printed and sent around the world. God is in the business of saving humans. Wycliffe, Knox, Tyndale, you name them. God cooperating with humans to fulfill his purpose of spending eternity with the people he created in his own likeness. Because that was the plan even before the fall to fellowship with these are serious stuff, friends. Then came the Baptist. Because everything was lost. Everything. Came the Anabaptist, etc. The restoration of Baptist, biblical Baptist. People need to be saved to be baptized. And then came holiness, order in the church, with John Wesley was preaching holiness. People should honor God, order. Well, someone told me recently that, yes, he did that with the Methodist church, but everything is gone now. All we have left are methods. And then in 1910, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Lord restoring his church in steps, in steps. What would be next then? Because after that, then we have other things in between. Charisma. Yeah. Always taking advantage of God things, distorting things, just to bring confusion. People begin to doubt, well, I better just reject the whole thing because of this. That is called false sense of security. Then you have kingdom dominionism. Then you have prosperity gospel. All those things is unbelievable. The way the Lord is defining the gospel in the Bible, and if you see millions of people being led astray, Bible reading people, that's amazing. What's, gonna do? What's God going to do now? What's the next step? I believe that the next need is for the Lord to restore the fear of his name in this end time. The fear of the Lord Last Sunday, after that beautiful service we had here, praising the Lord, we are tired, we get home, sitting around the table with the family, reviewing the service, and everyone saying what he gained from the church, etc. Got a phone call from a friend, an old friend of mine, and he said, Brother Gee, am I becoming mad? I need your advice on this. I say, what happened? He says, today in the church, in the congregation, one guitarist, as we were worshiping and praising the Lord, got angry and left the guitar there and went to sit in the congregation because he did not agree with his pastor on something. Wow. And the brother was so disturbed. He said, 
Is that feasible? Is that something normal? Am I getting mad or what? I said, no, you're not getting mad. That's the normal reaction of a normal believer. Why was he playing guitar? Because he felt not for God. You can't do that. You can't let God down <laughs> with the congregation. Selfishness. The fear of the Lord is gone. How can you do that? In the church. In front of everybody. Throw the guitar and you go to sit there because you are angry. Really? The fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord was in the church, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that what Ananias and Sapphira tried to do, they were punished straight away. You see, where the fear of the Lord is the rule, God himself is leading and is dealing with old stuff as you're going along. But where lawlessness is the rule, God and keep quiet. You see, the dove, I've been told that the dove does not like noise. At the slightest noise, it goes. The Lord can keep quiet, but the Lord wants to talk to his people. The Lord wants to prepare his people. The Lord wants to prepare us individually the fear of the Lord. I'm telling you, astonishing things are happening. I hear of brothers A believer who used to attend our house group before, a lady before, somewhere. One day we were talking about this kind of things, talking about what happened in Cornelius' house when Peter was teaching, how people in the house was, were listening carefully and how the Holy Spirit came and baptized people and nobody could deny that and they got baptized as evidence that they were believers in Christ. And we were talking about the things we are talking simply this morning. Two days after, I got a phone call, very long phone call. And the lady told me, As we were reading the Bible, as we were sharing simple things from the Bible, but she's been a Christian for a very long time, as far as I know. She says she was challenged. She was so disturbed. I say, why were you disturbed? And she said, because she was studying psychology at university, she went beyond normal studies and she began to seek experiences and she went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and it becomes so complicated for her. And as she was doing that, she was still reading the Bible, going to the church, nobody had told her that he was demonic. He was not godly. And as we were talking about these things here, she says to me over the phone that for the rest of the time, few weeks after, she keeps on calling me long phone call. I say, I'm not a pastor. I'm going to recommend you. I'm going to send you to a pastor, take an appointment for you. And the pastor will look into that. So I recommend her to Tony Pierce for a conversation. But what she told me, because of the things she got involved in, she was so disturbed that in daytime, when she was looking like this, one eye could look in the other eyes and she could see a serpent moving in her eyes. And she became scared. That will not leave her. She was disturbed. So I will be with the family on holiday, or we are somewhere, my phone call, Brother Guy, what can I do? And I will stop everything I do to start talking about the Bible, the deliverance of the Lord, and what God can do and pray, etc. But in the first place, she put herself in a dangerous position as a believer. Don't play with fire. I was told of another believer who was attending the church at the same time attending a cult somewhere. Can you eat at the table of the Lord and the table of Belial, believers have to be careful. We don't know who is doing what. Where are we going? Holiness. 
we cannot mix up God and something else. Now, let me say this. God willing, in two weeks' time, three, two, when we look into specifically the gift of the Holy Spirit, we will see the way the devil is confusing people. I'm giving you one example. The Lord said in the book of Deuteronomy that a false pro- people of Israel ask the Lord, so how do we know that someone is a false prophet? How do we know? Well, the Lord says, first step, when a prophet is claiming things and those things do not happen, I have not sent him. They've spoken of their own. Do not fear them. Do not believe them. Oh, does that mean that if they say things and things happen, we should trust them? That's the second step now. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. Now the Lord says this. Okay, even if they say something and that comes to pass, if what they're saying is leading you away from God, I have not sent them. Discernment is needed. These are very serious stuff, friends. We need God to build this church and to guide us. I think I've got a quote here. It's a quote from William MacDonald. William MacDonald, a brilliant, good brother who's now gone to be with the Lord, wrote this. Quote, After the Lord had suppressed the curiosity of the disciple about the kingdom, the Lord then directed them their attention to what is more immediate. They were more concerned about the kingdom of God. When will it come? The Lord said, okay, that's not for you now. At the moment, there is an immediate priority. So the Lord defines the nature of the mission and the sphere of it. The nature of the mission, you will be my witness. The sphere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's the most important thing at the moment. But tarry, wait, until the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. Then you can be my witness. Sir William MacDonald said this, but first, they, they must receive power. The power of the Holy Spirit. This power is the grand indispensable of Christian witness. A person may be highly talented, intense, intensively trained, and widely respected and experienced, but without spiritual power, he is ineffective as far as God is concerned. On the other hand, a person may be uneducated, unattractive, and refined, yet let him be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the world will turn out to see him burn for God. Amen. I think we're going to stop there for today. Next time, God willing, we will continue. We will look into the typology the man who wrote the Jewish Bible, the, Jewish, the, the commentary on the Jewish Bible, I think it's called David Stern, suggests a very comprehensive typology as far as the Holy Spirit and his manifestation are concerned. He says some are narrow charismatics. Some are broad charismatics. Some are anti-charismatic. I miss one. Bear with me. What's the other one? Narrow, broad, non-charismatic, and anti-charismatic. We will see into that, and we will realize that each one of us fits somewhere. And how does the Bible challenge us? Thank you very much for listening. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we say thank you, Lord, and we bless your name. We need you, Lord. We need your guidance. We need your help. According to the promise of the Father, yes, we have received the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But we need his renewing. We need to be filled. We need to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. We need to abide in him. We need to live for you. Lord, we present this church unto your hands. In the same way the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, we pray that the same Spirit will move not only in the church, but in us, in our lives as individuals as well, that we may know you more and the power of your resurrection. Help us, Lord, to love you more, to follow you, Lord. We need your mercy and we need your grace. In this turbulent world, Lord, we are tossed. We are hard-pressed, but not in despair. Help us, Lord. Father, we now pray, Lord, for your people here. Yes, Lord, we are hard-pressed with various conditions and situations, Lord. We pray that by the power which by you are able to subdue all things unto yourself, by the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you might change our lives that we may be more Christ-like. May all the glory be to your name.